This interview with Rich Rudolph, who extends our ministry to Leipzig, Germany, will help us all listen well to the passage before us in Romans chapter 10. Well, welcome, Rich, to Calvary Baptist Church this morning. It's so ple- I'm so pleased to get an update from you yeah. and Julia. Um, how are things in Leipzig, Germany, and are you on the ground and getting underway and get going? Yeah, we're doing great. We are now in Leipzig for the last seven months. We just had seven months. And uh, we've really acclimated really well here to the country. Um, Again, we've been here, but to the city specifically, uh, just really acclimated. The kids are doing great. Um, Everyone seems to be doing well. Uh, Our ministry here specifically in the church uh, plant that we're working in um, is going fantastic. It feels like we've actually lived here for longer than seven oh, months. Wow. Like a couple of years now. So very, very good team. Uh, very good situation and environment to work in. Justice and Lincoln and Lucy, how are they doing in a new German city in Leipzig? Great. They're doing really well. Um, they just love being uh, back here in Germany from our time in the States. That was quick, but they, um, I think, really were excited to get back to their roots here. And uh, Justice... He takes, um, he's in a different school than the other two. He takes public transportation every day by himself. Uh, he loves it, he loves the freedom he has there to be able to do that. The other two, their school is literally four blocks away, so they walk to school. And um, it's just, it's been a great uh, thing to see all the friends that they've made here in our little neighborhood, so. Now, how, uh, how old of a man is Justice these days? He's 11, Lincoln okay. is eight, and Lucy is six. Okay, great. Yeah. Now, back to your role in the church plant, how would you describe that? I am working primarily to help our church plant to become a sending church. Um, I am aiming at trying to build up members to be sent out for a future church plant. At the same time, uh, trying to build up a church planter or train a church planter to be sent out from our church um, or do a residency with us. So that's my primary goal. And uh, I'll tell you, it's just been amazing to see how God has really worked. We've had some interviews with potential candidates already and um, talking with one pretty heavily at the moment. Um, We'll see where all those things go, but we have our first uh, girl that we've raised up that will be starting her residency to be sent out um, as kind of like a a missionary. Um, She starts in September, and uh, we hope to send her to a church plan in the future to be a good member um, and good teammate for whoever that is. So she'll be doing a two-year Bible college stint with us here. Oh, that's fantastic. And right on the line of some themes that we're going over today in Romans 10. Uh, Rich, why are you and Julia in Germany? And what are you doing with your life? Yeah, we um, really felt God's leading and calling to bring us here specifically because and in the east part of Germany is so dark um there is very little gospel presence um it's considered one of the most secular places on the earth Uh, if you were to put this in a time capsule um we could kind of show you kind of what the future will look like with a city that does that didn't have the gospel for 40 years Mm. um when the iron curtain went up and the wall came down um this did not go back to any religious roots there was no um revival if anything, it actually, they lost two generations of Christians. So dark, um, there's an, a 
huge need for the gospel to be preached here, uh, to be shared, and just even to give you kind of a taste of that, um, our son Lincoln plays on a team, soccer, and so does Justice, and one of the dads we've become friends with, and uh, we've had a lot of great spiritual conversations, and I gave him a Bible, and he said, I've never seen a Bible before, Uh, and uh, those are the type of stories you run into all the time, and so if that just, you know, we're here because the gospel uh, is not is not being preached. It has not been preached for a long time. There's been some little lights, of course, you know. Um, God is always building his church, but we are yeah. praying that God will allow us to plant more churches here. So, How can they believe in him yeah. whom they've never heard? Rich, yes. thanks for extending our ministry. Thanks for letting me catch lightning in a bottle and capture yeah. you today. Uh, we're with yeah. you. We're praying for you. And we're pleased that uh, you're underway in good stead in Leipzig, Germany. God's best to you, buddy. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for extending our ministry. Thanks. God bless. Thank you, Calvary. Let's stand, as is our habit, as we go through Romans 9, Romans 10, and Romans 11. We are quoting in unison the passage from Romans 10, remembering that right at the center of this discussion are these words together. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The passage before us this morning in Romans chapter 10, we actually will finish Romans chapter 10 this morning. The passage before us this morning answers several important questions. It answers an important question about God. Plus, it answers an important question about faith and the nature of faith. It answers an important question about Calvary Baptist Church, about what we do with the generosity of God's people in their offerings and why would we do that. It answers the question about what is God's heart for the world. We need these answers, do we not? Answers about God, answers about faith, answers about the trust of handling the finances here at Calvary Baptist Church, and God's disposition towards his people. We need this. It is here. In 2002, A Princeton University professor who's brilliant, Middle Eastern Studies guy named Bernard Lewis, wrote a book called What Went Wrong. The book is written about the Islamic world, you know, two billion people strong, 
and their response to the progress of modernity and of where their culture is in relation to uh, other cultures in the world. In fact, he was speaking into the moment, of course, 2002, everyone is thinking about 911 and how that could have ever happened. It's a, it's a great read. He's a fascinating man. I came across him in all the interviews that were being done after 911. It's like, why did this happen? What are people thinking? Where did this kind of thinking ever come from? You know, at one point, his argument is that, uh, um, you know, in the development of the highest form of mathematic calculations, uh, the Islamic world was a part of that. At one point, they, they have the rudimentary uh, uh, cutting-edge technology in uh, computing with the abacus. And uh, along the way, then, uh, uh, they just were left by the West. And the thriving nature economically uh, of the West uh, belittled what happened in that part of the world. And he writes to explain an answer to that question that's being asked in the Islamic world, what went wrong? Now, if you think about that illustration, Bernard Lewis in that book in 2002 explaining that, think of what Paul the apostle is doing in Romans 9, 10, and 11. For the Jewish people of the world, I mean, these are Abraham's children, all the great promises, the prophets, the covenants, uh, the anticipation from Deuteronomy chapter 18, yea, from Genesis 3, 16, the anticipation of a coming one, one of Eve's sons, who is going to smash the head of evil, even though he would take a wound in his heel. The prophets anticipated the coming Messiah, uh, the prophet uh, who was coming, and, and all the way, Jesus comes, and the Jewish nation does not substantially respond. And so uh, people who are watching all this are saying, hey, w w wait a minute, what's wrong with God? I thought these were his people. They didn't take his Messiah. Uh, then the Gentile world saying, well, wait a minute, how come some of our people have embraced this Jewish Messiah presented? Uh, how do we ever get in on any of that? And so here Paul is explaining what went wrong. Romans 9, 10, and 11. And before us, in these verses that end Romans chapter 10, Paul delves into an explanation for what is going on. Now, if you're going to, uh, I want you to listen clear through this, but if you're going to talk to a Roman Catholic person about Jesus, uh, pick up the Douay Bible. That's their Bible that includes the Apocrypha. Uh, they believe, you know, the inspired canon with uh, the received text that we use. Uh, use the Douay Bible because it's um, talking on their turf. Uh, now, by the way, uh, the, the thing that's more disturbing to me, more disturbing than a... Uh, uh, a, a parish Roman Catholic who's never been born again. What's much more disturbing to me is a Baptist who's not born again. 
And so if you are here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that your fundamental need is to reckon with God. And God has made a way in Jesus Christ for us to come to know him, notwithstanding our sin. That's what Good Friday was about. And then in this world full of despair and meaningless, meaninglessness, God invites us to follow Jesus and to give purpose to our living and to give hope to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death doesn't get the last word, and we have purpose and meaning while we exist, and our life matters to God so much so that it wasn't too much for him to offer his son on the cross to purchase our eternal salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never begun with Jesus, rather than dig into these answers, which are important and are in the text, you need to dig into this matter of knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and I invite you to him. In fact, here's what Paul says, Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The passage before us. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, if you're going to go into a long explanation with a Jewish person, follow Paul's cue. Go to the Old Testament, open it, go from passage to passage, and use their book to press home the glories of knowing Jesus Christ because it's embedded right there. Now, this passage answers those four questions. Let's look at them together this morning. Question number one. Why does Calvary spend 13.3% of its budget on efforts to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Every Sunday this year, in the generosity of God's people who hold everything up as an expression of their love for God and they offer gifts. Some just drop checks in the offering boxes that are at the exits. Others order checks from the bank. Some pay online. Some use other means of regular and disciplined giving. And God be praised for the generosity of his people. We could do nothing in mission if it wasn't for God moving his people. 
And I believe that these gifts are an expression of our affection for our Lord. This Sunday, $4,720, and every other Sunday this year will be given over to global partners who are seeking to reach others. Why would we interview Rich Rudolph from Leipzig, Germany? Because he, that interview helps us enter the skin of this passage this morning. $245,432 this year we will invest in global work. Again, that's 13.3% of our budget. Eric, why do we do it? We do it because of the four rhetorical questions that show up in verses 14 and verse 15. If you're given to uh, make notations of your text in the Bible, uh, I always circle the question marks. And it's kind of a stopping point, a little stop sign there, stop and look. Okay, what issue is he raising? A succession of four questions. Question number one, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Question number two, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Question number three, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? Question number four, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now what's interesting is uh, the way you unwind this Yarn about sharing Jesus is you work backwards. Let's start with the fourth rhetorical question. Go to the third, go to the second, and come back to the first. It's something like this. Eric, how does this chain of events lead to people coming to place their faith in Jesus Christ? Well, first, someone is sent. Someone is sent. At the end of the service, and maybe it's because, in fact, I have preached too long and you're looking at your watch and you might miss it. But the, one of the last things I say in the, in, in the benediction is, you are sent. And that's not preacher filler on Sunday. It's actually, you are now sent out of this space to engage in the glories of following Jesus and sharing him with others. So you'll be sent again this morning, a spoiler alert and warning ahead of time. Now, um, first someone is sent, but then that someone proclaims Christ. That is, and one of, the, one of the great assets of this church, and it's actually every church, is where we go when we're sent. The people you will touch this week, and throughout the tri-state area, where we will go, and who we will do business with and where we shop and where we live and who we'll see and who we'll interact with. That happens after we are sent out of here and we have the opportunity to proclaim Christ. And then notice, and this is the marvel, we're going to come back to this, again working backwards, Christ is heard. That's what the text says. Christ is heard. Look at verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Wow. Christ is heard. Then some believe. Some believe. 
And in believing, then, they call upon him. Each link in the chain is important and is actually sequential. Each step of the evangelistic process is important. Each one is essential to the next chain. And one of the charges of this passage is, let's stay at promoting the health of each link. Now, I haven't received one in a while. No doubt this will be, you know, I'll get three this week. But uh, once in a while, I'll get these crazy chain letters. You know, and, and the last thing will say, you know, unless you take, you know, a $5 bill and mimeograph this letter and fold it up just right and send it to six people, you know, the $150,000 that you're going to get by next Wednesday is going to be thwarted because somebody else will not get that. So you must do this and you will be under a, uh, a, the chain letter curse if you don't do it. Please, I, I want to tell you this. That, that's all a fraud. It's like a junior league Ponzi contest. Take those and throw them into the trash and just remember this illustration and say, well, Mounts gave me permission to do that. And just divest your conscience of any weight that somehow you're going to violate something. But this chain is not one of those chain letters. It actually matters if the links aren't together. And in sequence. Actually, and we, we, we will interrupt the intent that God has for his people to disseminate the message and be a part of its transmission. Now notice how winsomely he makes it look. When he quotes Isaiah 52.7, which was like the Old Testament equivalent of VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, the joy that broke out when the news came, the fighting is over. In Europe, after you know, three years of carnage, you know, it was awful. Victory in Europe. The Allies won. There was great joy. Isaiah 52, 7 is a moment where the prophet has the privilege of announcing the exile is over. We're going to go back home. And that was bringing in this announcement, and that's all this word preaching means. It just means an announcement. The announcement of that good news, the exile's over, we're going to leave Babylon and go home. That was met with great joy. And what Isaiah does, he paints a fascinating picture. You know, and, and I suppose some have beautiful feet, and I suppose some could be described as having not beautiful feet. But here, Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring this good news announcement. And that is, you know, people would get proximate to others with their feet and be next to them walking and bringing that message, that's a beautiful-footed person. Now, one of the questions that this text asks of us here at Calvary this morning is, how beautiful are our feet? Now, it asks the other question as well, how ugly are our feet? But the only ugly feet are this. The feet that never go around where we go around and do life and share the message. Those are not beautiful feet. But the beautiful feet are those who, where their feet take them, take this good news about Jesus Christ. Take this good news that God is so deeply interested in knowing us that it wasn't too much for him to sacrifice his own son so that our sin could be resolved, the barrier could be taken down, 
and we could come to have life and we could come to have hope and we could come to live with vitality knowing we are forgiven and having a free conscience not plagued by the past not carrying the past around like an anvil because it's resolved in the shed blood of Jesus Christ our Lord what kind of shape are our feet why does Calvary spend 13.3% of its budget on efforts to share the gospel around the world? Because we are a Romans 10 kind of church. Now, it is true that Peter said, and I use an illustration of a man who came to faith in Christ by watching his wife pursue Jesus. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.1 uh, that uh, some spouses are one without a word by watching their chaste and earnest pursuit of Christ, 1 Peter 3.1. It is said that St. Francis said, preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. Now, some have gotten a lot of mileage out of that. By the way, there, there's a great discussion by historians about whether or not St. Francis actually ever said that. That, that. That's fascinating to read that stuff. And, and you can make a good case for, hey, he never said that. But anyway, preach the gospel and if you have to, use words. Doesn't that cut against the grain of Paul saying, how will they believe in him in whom they've never heard? I don't know how those two live in the same neighborhood. Each link in the evangelistic chain process is important. Now, secondly, what's involved? Second question, what is involved in faith and its origins? I've told you before the illustration of the former owner of the Oakland Athletics baseball team. He owned them when the Reds were playing them in the 70s. He was a good friend of a good friend of mine who was a pastor and the pastor friend had shared Jesus with him all his life. They were big buddies. Charlie made so much money, he just ruined his life and in indulgence, had several families, and toward the end of his life, nobody wanted to talk to him, but everybody wanted his money, and it was just a sad story. So he, he's in Chicago, and he drives down to Cherubusco, Indiana, to go to my buddy's church. He signs in, nobody knows who he is, he signs in the, the visitor's desk as George Anderson course Sparky Anderson you know and so he sits down and my friend's hustling around he's not observing what happened and he he looks up Charlie O'Finley's sitting in the service and he's just dumbstruck he stops what he's saying he says I can't believe it I can't believe it my good friend Charlie O'Finley is here with us this morning as soon as he said that and Charlie O did not lack color in his personality he stood up in the service and he said, Marv, Marv, all my life, you've said you got to believe. you got to believe. I'm here this morning. And he sat down to the outrageous laughter of the whole church. Now, I believe along the way, the words you ought to believe were heard by Charlie O'Finley. Now, eternity will tell whether or not he ever believed those words. But here in this passage, we probe the meaning of what it means to believe. Eric, okay, I want to believe. I heard you invite us to believe in Jesus a moment ago. What is that? What is involved in believing? 
notice how, beginning with verse 17, this is critical to our own understanding. Now, obviously, he quotes Psalm 119 in verse, he quotes Psalm 19 and says, he's already made this argument in Romans chapter 1. If we would just open our eyes to see all the glory of creation, we would know that there is a God who is great and powerful and eternal. He's not left without a voice. In fact, he says every day, it runs the circuit with the planets that he made that the earth and its rotation around the sun interacts with it's there. That's what he's doing in verse 18. Verse 17, so faith, all right, Eric, I need to understand faith. Faith comes, where does it come from? It comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. The word of God awakens faith in the hearer. Now, isn't it true there is a mystery to faith? Why is it that two could hear the same message and one would believe and one would not receive the message? There's a mystery here. And remember, Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness. Uh, None of us have it all figured out. Beware the person who uh, argues they can figure it all out. Uh, God is infinite in the way he races after our hearts and brings us to himself. Notice how faith's origins tied up in hearing. Now, if you look through here, five times he uses these three words. Heard, hear, or hearing. Now, look at verse 17 again. What do they hear in the gospel? They hear the word of Christ. Verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Eric, I thought he's talking about the gospel. He is. That in the gospel, Christ's summons to humanity is heard and he draws us to himself. John Murray said, Christ is represented as being heard in the gospel when proclaimed. One of the funniest things I've ever seen at a sporting event. My friend was a national class cross-country runner in college. He was really good. And I went just to watch him run. And um, uh, there was a big meet, and I went, and I stood where... One of the problems with cross-country is... They disappear for a while, and then they reappear, you know, and, and so he, we're waiting for him to come out of the woods. And, uh, and I saw this lady, and, and, and I knew some of his family, but I saw this lady kind of position herself, and um, so I think he was in third place when he came out of the woods. I mean, they're just trucking. His times were insane. And he comes flying up, and I look, and uh, this lady starts running. And it's kind of beside him, but she couldn't keep up with him. But as she's running, she's going, go, Shaw, go. Go, Shaw, go. And I looked up. It was his mother. (laughs) It's like, oh, oh, my. Uh, But above all the hubbub in the crowd, there's one voice that he could hear (laughs) momentarily. It was his mom's right next to him. Go, Shaw, go. Later he said, Mom, what were you saying? 
She said, well, I didn't want anybody to know that I was your mother. So I just said, go, Shaw, go, <laughs> you know, use his last name, as if that was going to cover up all of her transgressions in that moment. But I'll tell you, there was one voice that he could hear when he came out of the woods. It was his mother. Many of us can tell stories about the one voice we heard when we were told about Jesus. And it was the voice of Jesus saying, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you shall find rest for your soul. And that was the best thing we ever heard from the best voice that communicated so much affection for us, and it dawned upon us that God was opening our heart to himself and faith was birthed in that moment. That in the gospel, we heard from Jesus inviting us in a personal way into a relationship with him. What glory it is to hear the gospel. How it moves the hearts of those that God brings to himself. The voice of Christ is experienced. It's heard. Come unto me. Faith is our response. I'm coming. Yes, it is true. I know it's the title of a devotional book. Jesus is calling. And he's calling for you and my allegiance, our affection, our heart. Notice there's four verbs that kind of paint a complex of what it means to believe, a composite. Verse 19, seek. Verse I'm sorry, verse 20 is seek. Verse 18, heard. Verse 19, understand. Now notice verse 16. He uses the verb obeyed. Obeyed. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. That the gospel is not only something to hear, not only something to understand, it's not only something to seek, verse 20, it's something to obey. And it's a legitimate question to ask, have we obeyed the gospel? And remember, this is how, this is not the first time Paul's introduced this concept, Romans 1, 5. God has given me this outrageous privilege to be an apostle to the Gentile and to call them to the obedience of faith. When we believe in Jesus, we're all in with our will and our allegiance and our obedience. Notice faith culminates in our obedience. Notice verse 16, not all who hear the gospel announcement obey. What's involved in faith and its origin? Well, faith is hearing, understanding, seeking him, and obeying all together wrapped up in a life, heart, response to Jesus. Now, third question is this. Is there a clear picture of God's disposition toward humanity in the Bible? Eric, what is God's posture toward humanity? Some argue, I'll tell you what, he's, he's waiting to drop the hammer. God despises humanity. Some would make the argument. Look at verse 21. This is such a beautiful picture. Verse 21 is like the Louvre with Mona Lisa. It's a glimpse 
of a glory that is extraordinary. All day long, verse 21, I have held out my hands. That's the picture of God. Oh yeah, people hold out their hands to their grandchildren. Notice the response of those to whom he's holding out his hands. All day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. But notwithstanding their response, that's the posture of our Father who is in heaven. Here is a glimpse, a picture of God's disposition toward humanity. He's holding out his hands for us this morning. Gifford said of verse 21, here is a picture of the everlasting arms spread open in unwearied love. Wow. Do you realize that God has unwearied love for humanity? How can we stay unmoved by that? Notice Israel's response is there, disobedient and contrary. Israel would not be the last person in history who would have a disobedient, unresponsive heart to the announcement of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Paul demonstrates that Israel is inexcusable, and he makes the point, using their book, with all of these Old Testament quotes. God could not be pictured in pursuit of Israel at a deeper level. Arms stretched out, verse 21, all day long. And it's not arms stretched out to whack, it's to embrace. I don't know where you are this morning, but I can say with earnest confidence that God has his arms stretched out for you today. If you're a tired pilgrim, God has his arms stretched out for you today. If you're a fallen sinful failure, God has his arms stretched out for you today. By the way, join the club. If you are in need of the grace of God and you have a fearful heart because of what is before you, God has his arms stretched out before you. Daughter of God, he is saying to you, I love you, I have you. Son of mine, what a delight it is for me to be your father. I want to help you. That's the picture of God. Do we carry that in our spirit? Or do we have lesser views? It's wonder. Who knows when we'll ever get back for tourism to Russia. But I didn't go to the Hermitage soon enough. And I know some of you have gone. St. Petersburg. Uh, the art gallery. The art that's there. The, the Rembrandt section. Uh, it is said that the room where the prodigal son picture of Rembrandt is, is quite an extraordinary room. And that there's two reasons why people go there. One is to look at Rembrandt's prodigal son. And the other is to look at people who are looking at Rembrandt's prodigal son. And watch their response. Here's a gallery of art. The living God pictured with pursuing outstretched arms for us. That's who he is. Is there a clear picture of God? Yeah, stare at 1021 if you want to understand God's disposition toward humanity. Now the fourth question is this, has God rejected his people Israel? Look at verse 1 of chapter 11, that's where we're going, that's what's next. I ask then, has God rejected his people? 
Well, you would think, well, we just read they're disobedient and contrary. Notice, by no means. Absolutely not. There's a future for his people, and he'll talk about that in chapter 11. But I want to introduce, before we talk about it, this question. Is there a greater picture of grace to be found than here? You say, Eric, how did the Gentiles get in? How'd they even get in? Verse 20, Isaiah described it ahead of time, what was going to take place. They did not seek God. They did not ask for God. And they got in. Because God, in his sovereign grace, swallowed them up and brought them in. Now, if ever there was a picture of grace, isn't there? You talk about undeserving, not only undeserving, uh, clueless, not pursuing, having no promises, and brought in by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And you know what happened? They heard, and then they believed. Thinking of chapters 9 and 10 in Romans lead us right here number four has God rejected his people Israel and the answer will come up in chapter 11 and the answer is no he's not at all and the explanation in verses 16 17 18 19 and 20 21 is God's work among the Gentiles had a purpose it was designed all along to prod the Jewish people forward make them jealous at the grace of God being poured out by the way do we live before a watching world and engage at a depth with the watching world at a level that's enough for them to be envious of what it means for the grace of God to grip a life and give us a future and a hope? He said that Gentiles coming to Jesus were going to be a provocation, provoke the Jewish people to consider Jesus. Has God rejected his people Israel? We'll, we'll answer it the whole chapter in 11. The answer is no. Now let's finish thinking about verse 14. Let's go back there one time, please. And how are they to hear without someone announcing? That's the word preaching, and that's what it means. Saturday, a week ago, I was at the Columbus Zoo. Um, I think John Hart was the only person east of the Mississippi that was not at the Columbus Zoo when I was there. My good friend's visiting this morning. John, thanks for coming. Um, you know, and you, long lines, just standing there. And, and I'm like a progressive commercial, doing all the things you're not supposed to do, you know. I turn around, and a guy has a uh, hat on. He's a tall, tall guy from, he's a Cajun from Louisiana. And... Uh, he has his hat on, Dutton Ranch, uh, Darby, Montana. And, you know, I, I don't follow stuff. I don't know what's going on. I've never watched one episode of Yellowstone. So, so I said, hey, have you visited Dutton Ranch? He said, boy, I'd like to. I'd like to. And then it occurred to me, hey, wait a minute. Is that that, like, fictitious ranch in Montana about, you know, the, you know, the development? 
And I, I said, is that that TV program? Oh, yeah, I've DVR'd every episode. I'll tell you what. And we got into a long conversation, and it went from, from Yellowstone to his home in Louisiana, and it went to Cajun food and whether or not he could get the spices and around where he lived to help his wife understand how glorious it is to eat Cajun food with all that stuff. And it's just a great conversation. And uh, we got up there and uh, I ordered my food, he ordered his. And then, um, you know, you had to wait till they served 25% of the people living east of the Mississippi. And then they call out your names. So we all had those little things that light up and we're standing there and I'm standing there. But while I'm standing there, you know, the, the sauce of Romans 9 and 10 and 11 are washing over my conscience. Now, now, God doesn't speak audibly to me. Bless you if he does to you. He speaks to me in his word. I love Augustine. When scripture speaks, God speaks. So yes, God speaks to my heart. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly. And it's, it's as if my conscience said, all mounts, you know, you are, you're good at talking about Cajun food to people you've never seen before and laughing about the fact that you're an idiot. You don't even know, you know anything about pop culture and how cool you are if you watch all the Yellowstone stuff. Because he told me, he says, I'll tell you what, Sunday's my day. And I go, well, what, what do you do on Sunday? I'll tell you what, I've DVR'd every episode and I just get back in my chair and I watch Yellowstone all day long. I go, oh, great, you know. And uh, so we're there, and it's like, Mounts, you are, you're interested in yucking it up with this guy and having banter that's kind of fun for you. And, and he, he was going with me. It was fun for him, too, I think. And he said, uh, are you going to say anything about Jesus? I mean, I mean, does he rank anywhere in this, you know, Yellowstone or Cajun food conversation or, uh, you know, Louisiana and origins and family and, and uh, where do you live now and what do you do? And, I mean, where does Jesus line up with this? So we're standing there waiting on our food. I don't do everything right. And I, 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 I don't like to put myself in lights and illustration that I'm doing everything right because I'm not. And I don't share like I ought. But as I was standing there, I was like, you know what? This guy's going to live someplace forever. So I looked at him and I said, look, hey, do you watch Yellowstone before or after church? <laughs> And then, then that led into a conversation, and I, I told him, I said, I, I want you to know how deeply God, the God of heaven, is interested in your interest in him. In fact, Good Friday said when his son died to take away and resolve our sin that there wasn't any length that he wouldn't go to to demonstrate his interest in us, and he loves you, and he's interested in your life. Within that, uncork with, well, yeah, I'm part of Vineyard Church in Reynoldsburg, and you know, he went on and on and on. You know. But um, where are we? Do we just come in here and look at the text and go out? Or is the text shaping us into people with beautiful feet, taking this announcement where we go? Oh, Father, to a person all of us feel less than when it comes to sharing you with others, especially in the midst of a hostile culture that has raised such ire against gospel Christianity, the very thing that it needs to lead it to health and wholeness and thriving. So Lord, shape us, help us, strengthen us, embolden us, Give us courage to open our mouths and speak with bold clarity the mystery 
of the gospel. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.